0: Oh, like I like it when the Lord works, and uh, we always got to testify His goodness, and He is real, and He's active, and He's among us, and sometimes we, we get disillusioned of that truth, and God wants to just bring a revelation again of His goodness. Um, yeah, sure. I'm just, yeah, I was just, I've been prepping again i've been sharing about the of being ready for those who might have missed it wasn't last week it was the week before and uh and then last week we had more of a holy spirit time so uh, although it's a two-part series i i want to carry on with that because i already feel just na- something for the now it's one of those now words that i'll be feeling and uh, i've been sharing about Five foolish virgins and the five wise virgins and uh just how jesus brought that parable and uh, and so i want to carry on with that i want to maybe just read through it again just to remind us and then i'm just gonna carry on from where i left off so if you can go there to matthew 25 and Paul, please thanks it says then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom now five of them were wise and five were foolish and those who were foolish took their lamps And took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in the vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you i've been sharing this scripture and i I have shared the scripture before a while ago but there was just something that that the lord's just been highlighting to me about this you know jesus gives this parable not because i believe not because it's it's one of those parables that as you read it you realize how close proximity the wise is from the foolish in their ways and what they've done how very similar they are and you know for me similarity makes things more deceptive (laughs) than things that are distinctly obviously indifferent to one another and i think that's why jesus actually brought this parallel because sometimes we we get disillusioned from the false to the, that which isn't true and i've been bringing this comparison just of how similar they were because you know basically that's what jesus brought this this parable and it kind of reminds me you know because this this story you, you you actually only see at the end actually who the foolish virgins were by the fact that at the end, you know, the door was shut to them. So, at the, at the end of the parable, you actually realize, okay, this is what made them foolish. But it's the same with the, the wheat and the tares. You all know that scripture in Matthew 13. Um, you can, if you're writing down notes, it's very similar because it's a story where, where, where um, the, the servant comes to the master and says, look, didn't we sow wheat in, the, in this field? and while of a sudden is there tears here too, and then the master said, well, someone must have sown these tears, uh, you know, in the middle of the night. A thief must have come and just done this. Um, and, and so, but you know, the thing about these tears, it's not something you recognize at front, you know, when things begin to sprout, because these tears are very similar to wheat. They're, they're, their stalks are the same, they're, even the coloring of these things, they look the same all the time up to a point, and the point is when it's harvesting time. You begin to distinguish what's real tares and what's the real wheat. And, uh, and so I've kind of been looking at that, and I, I was just kind of looking at the parable of the virgins, and I, I shared last time that, you know, it wasn't that Jesus was bringing a par- comparison. You know, there were virgins, there were five virgins, and there were five women who weren't virgins, you know that would have been a pretty obvious distinction you know but these virgins had kept themselves from the world they, they were pure they were people who abstained from worldly lusts in the flesh and they did everything we you know those who are truly saved were they were also people that were waiting for jesus they were all waiting all ten of them were waiting for jesus and i mentioned last time that you know, there's a difference you know you can know the word and you can know about Jesus, and you can, in a sense, be prepared, in a sense, and waiting through Scripture, and you can be reading about Scripture because, you know, this is how you know it's the end times and stuff like that. In a sense, you can be prepared, but, but there's a difference between being, being ready chronos, chronologically, or being ready kairosly, and the difference is chronologically is you, you actually were looking at the time to see when Jesus is coming, where the other ones you know in your heart when He's coming. There's a kairos, there's a this is, it's the same way when, when the Lord leads you in the spirit, it's like, I know this is a Kairos moment, I know that God is leading me here, because I can feel it, I can feel, it's like Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father do, remember when they turned water into wine, he said to Mary, sorry, my my chronological time hasn't come yet, and uh, Mary's like, just tells the servants, just do what Jesus tells you to do, and I'm sure what Jesus moved that moment, he said, okay Lord, you know, let's make this a Kairos moment, let's, Let's point out how special marriage is. And so we see Jesus turn the water into wine. But Jesus was always kairosly waiting for the moments of the Father. And so he was ready like that. In a sense, we've got to be ready in our hearts. If, knowing the Scripture, the Bible says no one knows the hour of the day. So I want to settle that for you. If, you, if you're listening to someone, which I'm hoping you're not, but uh, who's all about the end times and this is going to be the date that Jesus comes back, the Bible's very clear, no one knows the day. And as we read the parable, what happened? The bridegroom, what did he do? He delayed his coming. So if you were prepared chronologically, how do you calculate for the delay? Okay, so th- that's just a, a point. But anyway, so I've shared how similar they were. They were all waiting, but they also all slept. Now, this is another thing. You might think, well, I, if I was doing the parable, I probably have thought the wise were awake and the, the foolish one slept. You know, But Jesus doesn't do that. He kind of... Because the emphasis he wants to make here isn't so much the alertness in the sense of, okay, now, now it's today, tomorrow. It's, it's in a sense, as he said, they all slept. What, what, he, what he's conveying in this is that everybody carried on with their lives. I mean, guys were working. They were looking after their families. They were doing the things that they were doing. And so they all, in a sense, are waiting for Christ. But, I, I, but there's a difference in the sense of as you sleep, as you're going through the motions of doing what you're called to do, and as you witnessed, you're waiting. But then the next thing I want to say is they all had lamps. Now, having a lamp doesn't mean you're of the light. Okay, I, I want to kind of help you guys process this because, so if I talk about a lamp, which I'm going to share now, I'm reminded of Psalm 119, verse 100. Sorry, Psalm 119, it says, sorry, verse 105, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I've given you that one, hey, yeah. So, the Word of God, I want to say you can be a loyal reader of the Word. You can have the lamp, and you can know Scripture, and you can know thoroughly, but it doesn't mean you're of the light. Um, You think of it, so let me give you an illustration Good example, when Jesus came the first time, we know the Pharisees, they knew Scripture. They knew the law and the prophets, okay? That's, that was what they had. They didn't have the New Testament, they, but they had the law of the prophets. Now, the law pointed to Jesus, didn't it? I mean, think of it. They had to, so let me give you one of the festivals was the Passover lamb. Now, they knew what that signified. They knew the Passover lamb would be uh, it was a symbolism of, of the, you know, the, 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 as the angel passed over in Egypt, remember? And God said, you put the, the blood of the lamb on your doorpost because as the angel passes over, if you don't have it, I'm going to take your firstborn. And so they did it. But every year, even up to the day that Jesus came, they were celebrating the Passover lamb. So they understood that. Even the Pharisees, they knew that. That was, that was the law pointing to Jesus. And then, they also understood the prophets, the book of the prophets. Think of people like Isaiah. They pointed how Jesus would actually look. They said he would have no form or comeliness that, that, that people would desire him. I mean, he was rejected by man. And, and, and Isaiah very, you know, he gives a very detailed description that Jesus going to the cross, the lamb that was slaughtered for us. And, and yet when Jesus came, they didn't see it. Okay, so they had the law and the prophets, and yet when Jesus came the first time, they didn't recognize it. So what I'm I'm trying to say is that you can know Scripture and still not know. Still not know Him. When He comes before us, it's like, I still don't see Him. I don't see Him. So Scripture in itself, I'm not against Scripture, please. I, I love Scripture. But the purpose behind Scripture is that you can be of the light, not just know about the light. And so John 5, verses 37 Jesus said this, and the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. You've never, sorry, you have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. Okay, let me just carry on. Sorry, this is a verse, uh, I want to carry on verse 39. You search the scriptures, for you think in them there's eternal life. And these are they that testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me <laughs> that you may have life. You see what Jesus is saying is those things point to me. Scriptures point to me. Sometimes people love scripture, but they, they fail to see what scripture is pointing to in Jesus. And uh we can even go to church and we can study the word, but we need to make Jesus real in our life, and we need to come to Him personally. Every single one of us, every day, all the time, we need to be confronted with Jesus. Scripture is meant to bring me to the place of knowing Him. Intimately not knowing about him. it's like 2 Timothy 3, 7, 7 says it's for you for, forever learning, but you never come into the knowledge of the truth. So the light needs to be lit. okay You can be the virgin, you can have the lamp and you can know the scripture, but the lamp needs to be lit. So who lights the lamp? I'm going to just do a demonstration. lamp needs to be lit okay the lamp needs to be lit who lights it well psalm 18:27 it says for it is you who lights my lamp the lord my god lightens my darkness can i say you can know scripture it doesn't light your lamp god comes and he lights it ignites it he makes it real he makes it real to me and he makes it real to you and he comes and it brings conviction it comes and brings and it's like Oh, I don't know if you've ever had that. When you first came to that point, it's like you recognize, oh, it's like Jesus set you alight, and you begin to burn for him. It's not just knowing Scripture, it's it coming alive in you, you know. Um, and so, it's walking in obedience to this Lamb. I'm just going to put it out just in case um, I don't want to start a fire. <laughs> but... Um, But it's something of obedience that makes Scripture come alive. When we begin to live in it, that it becomes a daily exercise, that it becomes real, that we practice it, that we live in it, that we walk in it, that this thing becomes alive. And, and you know, even with Jonathan Conrath coming, you know, this is what we call to, is to go and preach the gospel, to bring the light to others. And to spread the gospel, but people gotta see your light burning. They 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 don't wanna see what you know. You ever know that? People don't want to know what you know, they want to know that you care, they want to know that you're living in what you say you're living, they want to see a reality of that thing out working in you. And uh, and so like Psalm 119 verse says, it says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Notice it's a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. In other words, where's God taking you? What's your, what's your direction? Where's your purpose? And think of your feet. That's where the Lord takes you, isn't it? And where does God take us? Well, He takes us to the lost, for one. And uh, in Romans ten fifteen, it says, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel. So this lamp needs to do something. It's to light my path. So I know where I'm going, but it it's also leads my feet to go and preach the gospel. Think of it. Where was Jesus' feet led? It's to go and preach the gospel all the time. He was was going to places where the Father was showing him to go. The Father was leading him constantly, bringing people to salvation. So, we need to allow God's light to light us. Why? To ultimately illuminate our path, but also to bring others to salvation. I love 2 Peter 1.19. It says, and so we have this prophetic word Confirmed that you do well to heed. That word "do well to heed" means pay attention. It's a word that talks about becomes revelation. But you pay attention. You do it as a light that shines in dark places until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. See, the scripture isn't scripture isn't something static. Church, it's something alive. It's real. It's active. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the Word of God is living, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and the joints and marrow and the discerning of thoughts and intents of the heart. You see, when we make Scripture, we allow God to light it in us. It's not something static. You don't just read it and, oh, that's a nice word, and I feel encouraged, and I walk away. No, it, it lights, it says, even judges me. It judges me constantly. It judges those things of the flesh versus those things of the Spirit. And it goes even further. It even goes and judges my intentions. It's how powerful that word is. You know, think of it. We often judge others by their actions and ourselves by our intentions. The word comes and it judges us from the beginning. Before you even do the act, God says, I'm judging. I'm checking that thing in your heart. Are you doing it for the right reason? Are you coming out preaching? Are you, have you got the right motive? Is it because you love me or because you just want to be heard? Yeah, that's an intention. And uh and so that's what the Scripture does. It goes deeper than... And so we've got to kind of submit to that. Oh, sorry, Lord. Yeah, I bring it before you. How many times do we do things with wrong intentions? And so that's what Scripture does. It, it brings it... And, and you know, the funny thing is, we can read Scripture in a Logos way, or we can read it in a Rhema way. You know, we talk about Logos word. It talks about... It's basically the Bible is the recorded message. It's the Logos word. But you and I... We call to experience it we call to live it out we call to know the moments of the lord the kairos moments that is the rhema word of god working in us and living through us and that's why we've got to practice it, church we've got to practice it we've got to you know i'm looking at the church today god is taking his lampstand from the churches from traditional churches i shared last time about the church the anglican church how they're compromising on doctrine now this week I read the United Methodist Church are also compromising on doctrine. They're pulling back on things like LGBTQ and all those things. They're pulling back on doctrine, things that are thousands of years old. Doctrine that was set in, you know, they're compromising. And so now we don't just call God the Father or the Son. Now it's they, them, whatever. They're even compromising on the Word of God. And uh, and so you know, I often think of that scripture where it talks about the lampstand being removed. And I, I started thinking about it because, you know, what happens is when the church stops living in the, re- in the word, when they stop exercising, when they stop practicing it, when, it, when they stop making it part of their lives, it loses its significance in your life. Because you kind of look at it, oh, this is the Logos word. Well, you know, it's, re- it's got to be relevant to me. You see, we make ourselves relevant to the word because we know the word is the truth. And so we adjust our lives to that, and we make it relevant. So when we read Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to fellowship, to prayer. You know, they opened their homes. We try and make that real, don't we? We try and live in that truth because we know it's a truth that's a blueprint how the early church lived. And so because we exercise it daily, it becomes our lifestyle, it becomes our culture. And so when you, you can't compromise on it because it's actually our culture. Because if you compromise that just as a scriptural theoretical idea you know it's easy to take it away but because we're living in it which is why we have to live in it Do do you get what i'm trying to say we've got to live in scripture we've got to live in it because it's not just an idea to us it's a revelation that that in this i live a transformed life it's how god keeps me holy it's how he keeps me pure and so I do see the value of hospitality. I do see the value of loving people. I do see the value of discipling one another in truth. It's a value that we live out. But we've got to do it in love. Um, we've got to exercise it in love. You know, I, I'm just reminded, Revelations 2, verses 2 to 5. I want to read that quickly because I think that's quite... Talk about the lampstand. I know your works, your toil, and your patience, endurance... How you cannot bear with those who are evil, but you have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing uh, bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. See what he's saying is, look, you've got to go to live in it. Get back to your first love. This is why we do it, because I love Jesus. I devote myself to you, to the church, to his body. And these guys, it says, they, they even knew, they could even discern between good and false doctrine. So they knew scripture. They understood. That's why I'm saying you can even be the virgin in a sense that you understand what's the right and the wrong. But, but, but Jesus still got this against them, that they're not living in it. They're not walking in it. And he says, but if you're not practicing it and you're not living, it, I'm going to even take that away from you. That lampstand is going to be taken. Because, and that's exactly what's happening in the church. The lampstand has been taken away. I don't know about you guys. We've got to be living in this truth, no matter how sacrificial it is at times. It is sacrificial, but it's a lifestyle. It's, can I say, discipling should never be an inconvenience to your life. It should be your life. Being in church should not be an inconvenience. It should be part of who you are. And I want to encourage you guys. I'm not being trying to put a heavy. This is this is what scripture's saying. I don't want God to remove His lampstand from us. I want us to be burning for Jesus when He comes back. Oh, here He is. We've been living for this moment. So, oh, oh, Jesus is coming. Oh, you know. No, I was expecting you. This is why I've been preparing myself. And so to truly represent Jesus, to be of the light, there's two things we need to understand. We need to know what we need to take off and what we need to put on. What we need to die for is important, but also what we live for is important. And so, what do I die for? Well, I've got to give up my life. I've got to lay it down, like Jesus said. If you, you know, unless you do that, you're not worthy of the kingdom. And so there is a sense of dying to self to become a living sacrifice. I don't know about you, but that word living means it's constant. You're constantly dying. This thing of dying, dying, dying. Just when you're tired of dying, Jesus says, die again. It's like, it is. I don't know about you. It's hard. But, he, but you know, God doesn't do it all at once for us because I think it will just crush us. You know, those adjustments take time. So, there's certain things in my life that God says, okay, Benny, this, this little area of your life, you need to die there. And it's like, okay, God, I'll die. And then tomorrow he gives me grace. Okay, Benny's rested enough. Okay, Benny, this little area here, you need to die. I just, you know, really that too, you know. And eventually you start seeing the things that God is cutting out of you. But I want to say, don't just look at that because I know it can be heavy. Jesus has also given us things to live for, okay. Uh, What do you live for? Well, you're taking up the glory that he's got for you. you. You you. you know, you, you you take up the splendor, the beauty of who He is. You're putting on Jesus. You're putting on Christ. And so he begins to, you know, that's, that scripture Stephen read, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. So you might be taking off things, but you're putting on things like freedom. You know, I was so bound to cigarettes, but God told me to cut it out. But now I find that I'm free from cigarettes. You know, it's, it's like those things. Um, it's, and that's what the kingdom's about. Remember the, the man that saw the pearl of great price? He's, he saw it in a treasure, and he said he, he sold everything to go and get it. And when he got it, it's like, oh, this is the thing I live for. This is the thing I'm here for. That's what Paul said. I count everything rubbish in comparison to knowing Jesus. Paul grabbed a hold of Jesus because he had a new thing to live for. And, um, and so, you know, part of being the tr- the true church—it's it's what we take off. You know, Romans 13:12 uh, says, "Let us cast off the works of darkness, but that's not all. Let us put on the armor of light." Um, Revelation 19 it says, "And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright." Let's talk about the bride of Christ. But talk about us. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. So what we do, it's like putting on those things. God, God, God says, I've got so many things I want to put on you. And you know that word arrayed? It means it's, it's like it covers you fully. It's like all over the show, this, this, this robe that Christ puts on it. It's, it's holy, it's righteous, it's pure, but it's also all over us. And so Jesus wants to clothe his body. He wants to clothe his bride so she looks beautiful. Okay, Romans 14 verse 8 to 13. I want to read that. It says, "For if we live, because we we're talking about what we die for and what we live for, for if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord." So, then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be both Lord both of the dead and of the living. That scripture makes so much more sense to me now. Yeah. You know, We live for the Lord and we die for the Lord. And that's in everything we do. Both is to the Lord. Both is because He's asked us to. Both is for His glory. And so part of this preparation, so we see the bridegroom, we see as she prepares herself, she's a virgin, she's waiting, she's at times sleeping, but she's got a lamp. She's even got oil. They all had oil. But what happened? verse 5, the bridegroom was delayed. He tarried. Now, this is where if you were calculating Jesus' return chronologically, you would have a problem right here. Because how do you calculate? How do you compute for Jesus' delay? The Bible says a thousand years in heaven is like one day here, and one day in heaven could be like a thousand years. So, how do you calculate for that delay? You can't. And I don't believe Jesus was trying to tell us, listen, we always got to have an extra jar of oil of my Holy Spirit as if it's something... And I'm going to be very careful when I do this, because I, I think, you know, because if we, if we looked at it like this, we say, well, so if I have a jar, of la- a jar of oil, just like spare, how do you know how much to calculate for that delay? Because then you're still going to be thinking chronologically. I mean, how many, not amp hours like we have, how many lamp hours, I <laughs> will say, you know, to try and intellectualize this thing. Now, what Jesus is saying is, you need to be constantly filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what he's saying. The difference between the the wise and the foolish is the wise had extra oil. Yes, but but they were constantly being filled. They were constantly allowing the Holy Spirit. You know, Acts 13 verse 52, it says, And the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. John 3.34, it says, He will give us His Holy Spirit without measure. Why did jesus say that because he knew he would be delayed and so he he has to and i want to say today even tonight just to tell you guys carry on being filled with the spirit carry on being in the presence of god you could, there's no substitute for that i need to be in the presence of god constantly and i love how my like even my boys sometimes like i just hear him in the morning sometimes in the in the lounge just playing the guitar worshiping the lord I know He's been filled in those moments. I know when I'm in the presence of God, I'm being filled. I need it. I need that constant thing. Being filled with the Spirit. And God promises us at church. It's not a once off thing. It's a constant thing. Jesus prayed the Holy Spirit over His disciples constantly. There were a few times in the Scriptures that He prayed. He breathed. Remember, He breathed over them. He prayed over them. He was constantly saying, be filled with the Spirit. Luke eleven thirteen 13 says, how much more... Will our Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? Holy Spirit is not a a nice to have for being ready as a bride. He's a have to have. You need the Holy Spirit, you need to be filled with Him. And I want to even take a time if you've never been filled with the Spirit. I want you to come to me afterwards, because I really feel we need to pray that over you. We need to pray the Holy Spirit. Jesus prayed it over His disciples. We need to pray for the Holy Spirit. And you know, it's not something I can give you. Because remember how we went back to that parable, and the bride uh, and the foolish virgins went to the wise, and they said, give us some of your oil? They can't. See, I can't deposit. It's actually the Holy Spirit that comes and does the work. I can't do it. I, there is no spiritual mantra or, you know, you know, just, you've got to be filled, but I want to say, from that moment, that's what Scripture is saying, if you, do you ask the Holy Spirit, you ask God, and He will give you the Holy Spirit, it's God promising us that, church, when last have you been filled, can you honestly say to me, you were filled with the Holy Spirit, there was just joy flying out of you, I I was driving on Thursday, and I was feeling sorry for myself, (laughs) I was going to Marcel Bay, to our elders meeting, you know, and I'm like, oh, woe is me, you know, and, and God said, put on your garment of praise. And I, I'll be honest with you, that thing left me immediately. There was like a moment in the Lord, I said, forgive me, Father. I, I've been so consumed with myself. And you know, taking that garment, putting on that garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, the Scripture says, I felt elevated to the place where I could see what God sees. I could see the victor. You know? and, and because of that, I didn't, you know, that victim mentality fled. But, but I do want to say it's a constant thing I've got to fight for. And if I've got to do it, I'm sure every single one of us have got to do it. Fight for the Holy Spirit. Fight to have Him fill you up. It's not a nice to have. It's a have to have. And when you come here on, the, on Sundays, man, it should be flowing out of you that you do have a song, that you do have a hymn, that you do have a prophetic word, that you've got courage to stand up, even if you can't sing, to just sing the joy of the Lord because He's flowing out of you. No one's going to judge you. No one's going to say, oh, look at the way they sing. They don't have my voice. No, they, it's just that thing of obedience that breaks open things in the Spirit. That's, that's where I want us to be. I want us to be so unconscious of each other in the sense of the flesh, but so aware of the Spirit. That's my heart. And this is not a once-off thing. We, we see it in John 4 when Jesus brings to the Samaritan woman and he tells her, you know, if you ask of me, from you will come living waters that will flow out of you. And it's a constant thing. And so I want to encourage you guys, the only way we're really going to be ready is if we're constantly being filled with the Spirit. Because that's really what separated the two, was that filling of the Spirit. Yes, they were all virgins. Yes, we do need the purity of the Word. Yes, we do need to be prepared and waiting for Him. Yes, those are all things that are needful. Yes, we do not need our lamps but we also need Jesus to light our lamps and we need to live in His truth and we need to exercise and we need to constantly allow the Spirit to flow in us that we can live in this. And you know, Stephen shared this, that word that you had about the candle with the wick. And I feel like today, some of us even here, it's like that little bit of wick that's, that's kind of gone out and it's a smoldering thing. And I had the scripture in Matthew twelve twenty. It says, And a bruised reed, he will not break, a smoldering wick, he will not stuff out, he will not quench. And I feel some of you, there's a smoke, <laughs> and it's a lot of valid stuff, guys. You're consumed with work, you're tired, you finished. I've been my marriage, I'm tired, I'm doing things, my kids. There's a tiredness coming over me. I've been sick, and there's and I and I've been. And this is why I felt sorry for myself. Even you know, I was looking at the church and I was thinking, God, why are so many things happening? And I was praying, and I and I, I had a sense of faith for you guys because this scripture came to to life because I saw the smouldering wicks. But I feel God saying, I want to light them again. God won't let you just smoulder. If you desire Him, if you desire Him, He will be there for you. It says, knock and the door will be open. Seek and you will find. God's promising us this church. He's not going to let you just smolder and just be a bit of smoke. He wants to come and light you again. And I want to pray that over you guys tonight. I just want to pray that the Holy Spirit would come.